this is definitely not the world in which you and I were raised. The confusion of morals and the confusion of right versus wrong has just taken such a dramatic turn in the last few years. It's such a sad state of affairs where today people cannot even decide whether men should use men's restrooms and women should use women's restrooms. And when we go to the Bible, we find that in Isaiah 5 and verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put light for darkness and darkness for light, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I know that many of you are like me. You're disgusted. You're disappointed. And you don't know how to respond to a world which has gone so evil so quick, and we begin to wonder, is the Bible relevant to our needs today? Are we living in a new time and in a new age in which everything appears to be so different? Does the Bible have any answers? In Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9, that which is done is that which has been done. And there's no new thing under the sun. You see, the truth is, is that as you and I pick up our Bibles, it doesn't matter what age or what society we live in, the Bible does have the answer. There is a time throughout various generations in the Bible where men were just as wicked, just as vile, and just as ungodly as our society is today. This morning, I want to talk about the forgotten sins of Sodom. But in order to do that, I need to focus your attention for a few moments on the wickedness of Sodom. And so we will begin a study of the city to begin with and then talk about some things that we might not have considered. If you want to go to Genesis chapter 13, we'll begin with verse 12. And you have the description, And Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tents even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. The very introduction that we have to the city of Sodom was, it's a wicked, not just a wicked, an exceptionally wicked city. Of course, you come to chapter 18 and 19 and you recognize the, the true grievous nature. In Genesis 18:20, Moses record, The Lord said, Because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grave. It's serious business. God is going to destroy the cities of the plain. Sodom and Gomorrah and those round about them. When you come to the prophets, to Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 9, the look on their countenance witnesses against them. And they declare their sin as Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to their soul, for they have brought evil upon themselves. Isaiah pictures in his mind the wickedness of the people of his day just like the people of Sodom. 
He said they are proud in it. They are arrogant in it. They don't try to hide their sin. In Jude, verse 7, the New Testament looks backward. Looks backward toward the wicked of the previous generations, previous ages. And he says, As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to fornication and gone after strange flesh. Now listen carefully. These are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. God said, if you want to see how I deal with ungodly, wicked people, look at the cities of the plain, how they were destroyed. And yet, I would say that this morning is... Many of you heard the title read earlier. And as you saw on the screen the title, you probably thought in your mind of the ungodly sexual sins that were a part of the city of Sodom. And yet, that's not all their sins. In fact, if you go to chapter 48, or chapter 16, verses 48 through 50 of Ezekiel, you will see a picture that Brother Shannon read to us just a few moments ago. And I want you to notice carefully as we look at this picture here of the sins of Sodom. He says, As I live, says the Lord God, neither your sister Sodom nor her daughters have done as you and your daughters have done. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. Well, what was it? She and her daughter had pride. Fullness of food and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hands of the poor and needy. And were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore I took them away as I saw fit. There are three things that are listed here that are the other sins of Sodom. And they are the sin of pride, the sin of selfishness, and the sin of idleness. And for a few minutes, I'd like for you to study this section with me. Let's talk about the pride of Sodom. And when you think about pride, the Bible is really full of discussions. In Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Pride goes before destruction. You let a man look at himself and think too highly of himself, and he will be headed for destruction. In fact, Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, For I say through the grace that is given to me, to every man who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Here's our problem. Here's the problem of our society. Here's the problem of the people of Sodom, is they thought too highly of themselves. They didn't see themselves as being mere human beings. Matthew 5 and verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, this is a very relevant passage to thinking about Sodom. Paul had already written a previous letter to the Corinthians. The one that we call our 1 Corinthians was to deal with a present problem within the congregation and he says it is actually reported that there is fornication among you and such fornication as not even named among the Gentiles. 
what is it that bad? He said that one has his father's wife. Incest. You see how wicked and vile things can be in a society where God is no longer in the picture. But now these are Christians. And Paul's response to them in verse 2 is, And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. He said, you have become arrogant about it. Folks, let me ask you a question. As you think about the arrogance of Sodom, you read it in Genesis chapter 19, and you see these people have no desire to hide their sin. In fact, they feel a little bit proud about it. James 4, verses 8 and 9. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. God's saying, when you look at your sin, don't be proud of it. Be ashamed of it. Be sad because of what you have done. Pride causes people to think they have no need to change. Our society today does not believe it needs to change. In fact, we believe we have become so sophisticated, so enlightened, that we don't need to change from the standards of morals which we have today. In fact, our society believes that it has arrived I added a verse to our lesson this morning just before everyone arrived. I want you to listen to Genesis 19 and verse 9. Here are men pounding on the door of Lot's house. And Lot is saying, no, don't do this. This is wickedness. Here's their response to him. They said, stand back. Then he They said, this one came to stay here, and he keeps acting like a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. This one's coming, he's like a judge. Does that not sound like today? Who made you a judge to decide men ought to be men and women ought to be women? Oh, I'm sorry, it's not me. This caused God made the male and female, Genesis chapter 2. But you see, when a person says, this is what God says, well, who made you judge? Lot, why are you here? Why did you come live among us and judge us and judge our behavior? The arrogance of this generation. Number two, is selfishness. They're full of food. They're full of everything. The fact that a person has things is not automatically wrong in and of itself. It's the fact that we love these things that makes them wrong and a lack of concern for those who have nothing. Let me for a few moments explore some of this with you. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he had left him in Ephesus. 
And when you think about Ephesus, it's a beautiful city. In fact, it's a very sophisticated town. There are many of the houses there in the first century had indoor plumbing. Not only indoor plumbing, they had hot and cold water. They had public restrooms with running water in them. It's a city that was had streets paved with marble. A beautiful library that a person could go and read. Beautiful musical theaters. And in fact, a huge stadium, we would say. It was a, a theater, a gymnasium. Oh, what kinds of wonderful things this beautiful city had. It was a cosmopolitan city. There were people educated from all places who would come there to buy and sell. It was a rich place. Paul says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on life eternal. Oh, you mean you've got to, those of you who have something, be willing to share it with those who have nothing? I'm going to tell you a sad truth. Those people who often have the most share the least. And the people who have the least are the willing to share even what they have. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, is Paul is talking about the contribution. He said, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded into the riches of their liberality. Oh, do you mean you've got a group of poor people over here in the province of Macedonia who are being persecuted? Yes. And they're the ones who are saying, Paul, let us give. Let us give. generosity on, on the part of those who can least afford it. But let me tell you, as you look at Israel throughout periods of her history, there were times when Israel was struggling, but there were times when Israel was doing extremely well. During the time of Amos the prophet, Israel was going through a period of prosperity. In Amos 6 and verse 1, Woe to you who are at ease in Zion, and trust in Mount Samaria, notable persons in the chief nation to whom Israel comes. Notice, they're at ease in Zion. How well did they have it? You drop to verse 4. Who lie on beds of ivory, stretch out on your couches, eat lambs from the flocks and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idly to the sound of stringed instruments, and invent for themselves musical instruments like David, who drink wine from bowls and anoint yourselves with the best ointments. Listen to the careful last sentence, though, in verse 6. But are not aggrieved for the affliction of Joseph. 
Was there anything wrong with the fact that they had beautiful furniture in their homes, the beds of ivory and these couches in which they could recline? Was the problem that they had good food, you know, lambs, the, the tender young meat, or the veal, the calves from this to the stall? Was it the fact that they had good drink, that they had good clothing? Was the problem that they had entertainment? No. The problem was in their prosperity, they were selfish. They did not care for the affliction of Joseph. Jesus pictured the same in Luke 16, verses 19 through 21. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. And moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Here's a man who has more than he can eat. Great clothing. And here's somebody at his gate, somebody in his presence for whom he cares nothing. In Job chapter 31, verses 16 through 23, Job pictures himself and he pictures callousness selfishness and he says if I have kept the poor from their desire or have caused the eyes of the widows to fail or have eaten a morsel by myself so that the fatherless could not eat of it but from my youth I reared him as a father and from my mother's womb I guided the widow if I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or a poor man without covering, if his heart has not blessed me and if he is not warm with the fleece of my sheep, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless when I saw I had help in the gate, then let my arm fall from its shoulder and let my arm be torn from its socket. For destruction from God is a terror to me and because of his magnificence I cannot endure Job said, you, you want to look at me? He said, if I've not been a sharing person, he said, just tear my arms out of the socket. Sodom's people were all about, how's this going to please me? Oh, it doesn't take long reading Genesis 19 when they're pounding on Lot's door, open up, open up, we want these men. And Lot's saying, please don't do this. Please don't do this. Our society has become so self-absorbed with what I want without any concern for the needs of others. The third sin that you see is the sin of idleness. Idleness that he's describing here is just plain old laziness. I could spend a lot of times in the book of Psalms describing Solomon's picture of the lazy man, but let me take you to the New Testament. To Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38, and Jesus makes a very important statement. He said, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I wish that would just soak in for just a minute. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
There are opportunities out here. There's possibilities out here. We can't get anybody to work. There's possibilities for things to to do well, but no, the kingdom can't grow because there won't anybody work. Let me ask you a question. Do we live in a society today where people no longer want to work? Where we become a people of idleness, laziness? In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Jeremiah 48 and verse 11, Moab has been at ease from his youth. He has settled on his dregs. You older folks know what that is. Younger people probably don't. Used to, when you made tea you had or coffee, you had to put it through some sort of a filter. And some of that would escape into the coffee or some of it would escape into the tea and down in the bottom would be a sediment. Settle at the bottom. Those are called the dregs. And then he goes, he has not been emptied from vessel to vessel. One of the ways that they did that was they would use some sort of a strain and they would pour it from one vessel to another and then they would discard the dregs. They'd pour it to another vessel. And he says... He's not been emptied from vessel to vessel. In fact, nor has he gone into captivity. Therefore, his taste has remained him. His scent has not changed. In other words, he's become lazy. Matthew 20, verse 6. At about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle. And he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? No man's hired us. Some of us will want to say, why haven't you been looking? In 1 Timothy 5, verse 13, when people become idle, he says they wander about from house to house and not only gossips, but busybodies saying things they ought not. Our society has become so enamored with doing nothing that we have so much time of doing nothing that you pursue wrong things. get caught up in all of the wickedness that's a part of it. Proverbs 24 says, The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during the harvest and have nothing. Chapter 22, verse 13 says, The lazy man says, There's a lion in the streets. I shall be slain. A lion outside, I shall be slain in the streets. Excuse, 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 excuse. Oh, no, we don't live in the same world in which you and I were raised, but the Bible does answer the problems of our age, not only the bad ones. Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 18. Because of laziness, the building decays, and through the idleness of hands, the house leaks. Our society is falling apart. And there's an answer, though. 
The answer for Sodom, the answer for Gomorrah, the answer for the United States, the answer for Tennessee and Warren County and McMinnville is still the same answer, and that is to go to God's Word. Our country has embraced many of the sins of Sodom, and it's not just the sexual sins that will cause you to be lost. Yes, they will, but usually there are other sins that go along with it. And all of those sins must be repented of or else a person will suffer the same fate as they. I want to end with 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Oh, God's given us a picture God has shown us what righteousness is, what wickedness is, what will be the reward for doing what is right, and what will be the punishment for doing what is evil. But I'm not going to end on bad news. Oh, no. We want to end on some good news. And you see, the good news is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that gospel says that even though you're living in a bad place, even though you're living in a wicked world, you can still be delivered. It was good news to Lot and to his family. God has chosen for you to be able to escape. You can get out of this. You can leave. God has promised For those who love Him, who will be obedient to Him, an eternal home in heaven. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Acts 8, verse 37 and 38, and you're willing to confess that, repenting of your sins, and then being baptized in water for those sins to be remitted, Acts 2, verse 38, God will forgive you of all your past sins. What a wonderful picture that you see in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And he talks about all these sins, among many of them being sexual sins. And he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. And you were sanctified. Oh, but God's people sometimes allow sin to creep into their lives. And it dominates them. It takes over their lives. And God is like the father of the prodigal son. and He's looking for that son to come home in Luke 15. The son makes up his mind, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go back to my father's house. It may be this morning that you're a Christian here and you're looking at your life and you're saying, I've just let the world control me. I've let the world decide how I'm going to live, how I'm going to act, how I'm going to think, and I'm tired of it tired of being in the the influence of the swine. We're going to sing this invitation song, and if you need to respond, would you come while we stand and sing?